Do you know how difficult it is to get hold of a metal detector? Really, it is. Ha! Anyone here got a metal detector? Uh, yes. Right then, I should have spoke to you. Uh, there we go. But yeah, a metal detector. See, I was thinking, uh, maybe it was a long time ago now, when I was growing up, there seemed to be lots of people owning metal detectors. Like you'd, you'd go to the beach and there'd be a team of metal detector enthusiasts just sweeping over the sand looking for something. Uh, but something changed. I don't know what it was, but somehow uh, it gained. I better turn this on, hadn't I? Else we're not going to get anywhere with, with finding anything. Here we go, we'll turn that on. Uh, something changed and somehow it gained the wrong image and people with metal detectors can only now be seen early in the morning or late at night just sweeping the beach. See, potentially I think it could be really exciting because you just don't know what you're going to find and it could be a, a Roman coin which suddenly unearths a, a treasury. So, here we go, let's start looking See, the thing is with metal detectors, because, <laughs> because they are so hard to, to get hold of, see, that's the sound you're listening for, that, that little bleep, so you're going to have to be really quiet for this. Let's turn the sensitivity down. I went to Toys R Us, £15. Now, you can't expect much for £15, but we're going we're gonna to go with it anyway. Are you listening? Did you get that? Right, we've got something. Yes. Right. That's excitement for you, isn't it? That is excitement. You now want a metal detector. So we've got a little metal plane that's going to come in useful later on. We'll put that down there. Lost and found. It's, it's simple, isn't it? We've all experienced it. We've all lost something. We've all found something. We've all gone through those emotions from frustration and, and upset to the excitement and, and relief. Whether it was one pound or, uh, or your passport. It can go from a day-to-day -day occurrence to an experience that you'll never forget. Lost and found. And not that I read the, the, the Daily Mail, but they published a, an article recently on losing things. It was based on a, a study carried out by Eshaw Home Insurance, who questioned 3,000 adults on their lost and found habits. And I've got their headlines for you. And the first is this. Men are far worse than women with losing items. And we all spend, that is men and women, we all spend on average 10 minutes every day looking for what we've lost. Four out of 10 people often argue with their partner about lost items. One in 10 people even claim that they've lost their car in a car park. Do you want the, the top 10? The top 10 most lost items. Coming in at number 10 then is clothing. Number 9, gloves. 8, a hairbrush. 7, lip balm. I'm always doing that. 6, 
A purse or a wallet, never done that. Keep that close, keep that closed. Five. <laughs> Five sunglasses or spectacles. Number four, yes, paperwork. Number three, car keys. And what is it with children hiding keys? The number of times I found my keys in my shoe. Number two, house keys. And number one, your mobile phone. Most people, most people blame bad luck or the, their hectic lifestyle for misplacing items. But the reality is often that it's untidiness or poor memory. And these figures, they really do multiply up. An incredible 3,085 items are misplaced by us as individuals every year which becomes 200,000 bits and bobs over the course of 60 adult years. And a total of 153 days are spent searching for stuff over our lifetimes. Makes you think, just get it out of the way now. Spend the next 153 days searching for what I'm going to lose in the future. But it doesn't work like that. It sounds like a problem lost and found. And if we're talking husband and wife, me and Rach, my wife Rach, we've got different approaches to when things get lost. See, I'm with the, it's somewhere in the house. It'll turn up. It's just a question of time approach. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to pull the place apart looking. Whereas Rach, on the other hand, and I can understand it, one of us needs to appreciate the urgency of the situation. She needs to know that it's found now, room to room, drawer to drawer, behind the sofas, children turning out their pockets, checking in their mouths if they've got it hidden. It has to be found, else life can't continue. And there are two things, two things, two items that seem essential to our lives. The top two on the list that are lost every day. So let's watch the screens. It's great, isn't it? It's great. You'll forget everything else I say, but you'll remember that. Where's my keys? Where's my phone? And sometimes you just set up a talk so you can play some video, and that was the one. Lost and found. And beyond the figures, beyond the, the marital issues, beyond the song, there is something more serious to this. And that is where we're going in these two weeks. And I want to make the, the split here. Lost and found are separate. They are two completely different experiences. The emotions that we go through when we've lost something are often the complete opposite of the emotions we go through when we've found something. With lost, there is anxiety and frustration and upset. With found, there is relief and excitement. And yet they are connected. I can't lose something unless once it was found. And I can't find something unless once it was lost. And what this means is that this isn't two weeks on lost and found. This is one week on lost and one week on found. With the connections between the two being made when they become obvious. Then there is the Bible, which is the backdrop and the, the inspiration. The Bible is God's story. It's him revealing who he is through actual events, in actual times, with actual people, with their faults and their, their failings. And this story is told through history and poetry and, and wisdom. It's God showing us how we can know him and how we can live for him. 
And the Bible has a theme that runs right through it. And it is this. The Bible tells the most incredible history of lost and found. And I want to start this week in the Old Testament, the first and the the longer half of the the Bible. And I want to start with creation and with a garden and with a man called Adam, who was the first to experience lostness. And I want to finish next week with Jesus, who came so that we could experience foundness. And I want to invent at least two new words as I do it. You've just heard them, lostness and foundness. And there is a, a scripture Six sentences out of the Bible that connect it together in my mind at least. And it isn't often read and when I read it you'll know why because it's difficult to understand and it will need some explaining. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 44 to 49 it says this. If there is a natural body there is also a spiritual body. So it is written the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthy man, so are those who are of the earth. As is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we're born the image of the earthy man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. The heavenly man that this talks about is Jesus. And it makes the connection between Adam, the the first man, who became a a living being, and Jesus sent from heaven and referred to here as the last Adam. It makes the, the connection between the two, Adam and Jesus, first and last, earth and heaven, physical and spiritual. And that may be difficult to understand. I realize that, but with where we're going, we don't need to, not yet. What I do want us to understand, though, is that we, that is me and you, humanity, us, all of us, when we became lost from God, then he came looking. And God stopped at nothing, and he will stop at nothing until he finds what was lost, until he finds me, until he finds you. The earth is not all there is. There is heaven. The physical is not all there is. There is the spiritual. And as God searches, these become joined until what was lost becomes found. Let's go with that then and the Bible. And back in the the garden and Genesis, that that richest of first books that is the, the building block for all humanity and for our understanding of God. In Genesis chapter one, God created day and night, sky and sea and and land. He created vegetation and and living creatures in the sea and on the land. And then God said, let us make man in our image. That was the moment that humanity, as we know it, came into being. And in Genesis chapter 2, it fills out on this creative act. It tells of a garden that God planted in the east, in, in Eden. It tells of two trees in the, in the middle of the garden called the tree of life and the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it tells how God formed the first man, Adam, gathering the, the dust of the ground together and then breathing the, the breath of life into his nostrils. And that caused the man to become a, a living being. And it tells about one command from God, that the man mustn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
everything it seemed was in its place. And at the center of it was this God and man relationship, which was so close, but it wasn't to last. Something happened. And in explaining this to you, I know that many here will believe this and understand the the outworking of it. I also know that there will be people here who may have heard it, but you, you can't accept it. And I'm not asking you to believe it now, word for word. I'm asking you to think seriously about God and humanity and that relationship that was at the center. And to think about yourself personally, because I'm sure that there is a suspicion, even if you're not a Christian, a suspicion that we were created that there is a a single intelligence or or being greater than ours that existed before us. And that there is a a deeper need within us to know this being, to know God. And more than that, to be known by God. That is the the starting point for belief. And that is the the starting point for, for Genesis. Pursue that suspicion, that deeper need and creation and Adam and and being lost and belief in Jesus and being found comes into place. In Genesis 3, it tells of a a serpent who started to to question what God said, who started to put doubt in the the human's mind and the desire to, to do something that was against what God commanded. And that is what happened. Doubt and desire worked together to cause the human to act and to and to eat the fruit. To go against God for the first time. Then in verse 8 we get the outworking with the man and his wife. Hearing the sound of God as he walked in the garden in in the cool of the day. And they hid from him among the trees. But God can't be hidden from. And he called to the man. And asked him a, a number of questions. And I don't think these questions were because God didn't know the answers. I think he wanted Adam to be straight and honest with him. God asked, where are you? And Adam answered. He he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God asked, who told you that you were naked? God asked, have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The answer, even if Adam wasn't saying it, even if Adam wasn't owning it, was yes. And it was in that moment that what was in place, what was at the center, that that relationship, that closeness between God and man came out of place. And something got lost, both physically lost with Adam and humanity being put out of the garden and spiritually lost with Adam and humanity, with that closeness, that connection between us and God going distant. Now, as much as I may believe that, and many of us believe that, it doesn't make it personal to you. And this story, this lostness needs to get personal. Because if God is out there searching, then we need to know that we're lost before we can be found. And with getting personal, I want to tell you my experience, at least part of it, an early conversation that had been going on inside my head for a, for a while And there are some seasons or or moments in in life that are like crossroads where you could go one way or another. And because of the decision that you make there, they they live with you. I was 22 years old and I can see myself sitting on my motorbike on the drive at my parents' house. And in my head, I've got this question. And the question was, am I alive? I mean, 
am I? Now that may sound like a strange question to ask, and I'm no scientist or biologist or academic, but the question was along the lines of, am I more than flesh and blood? Am I more than the logic that is in my head? Have I just followed some reproductive cycle with conditioning and experiences that cause me to to be here and to make the decisions that I make? Is there anything other than that? like a spirit or, or a soul that can't be flesh and blood and exists beyond all of that? Now that is a hard question to answer, but an essential one, because if you answer no, then this is all there is. If I avoid cancer or a, a car crash and make 70 or 80 or 90 and then die, then that is the end of it. But, and this but changes everything. If I am alive beyond flesh and blood with a spirit or a soul, then this here and now isn't all there is. And I decided that day at 22 years old on my bike on the drive that I, that we as humans, we are more. We are more than flesh and blood, more than logic. And I wanted to connect with the more. Having got to that in my thinking, the next move was to pursue that deeper need personally. And because I grew up in church and I knew of Jesus, I started reading the Gospels, those first four books in the the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And I came to see Jesus as the life that I wanted to follow. And I came to believe because of Jesus' actions here on earth that I could be saved. And I started to experience that, that connection between heaven and earth between the, the spiritual and the, and the physical. And what I'm saying here is that you may need to line up the questions right. And the first question for me wasn't, do I believe in Jesus? The first question for me was, do I believe that I'm alive? Do I believe that I have a spirit or, or a soul? And having answered that, knowing that there was more, meant that I knew my lostness personally. And I had a need, a need to be found. And that is where Jesus comes in. There are three parables, three short stories that Jesus told as he explained how God searches. They come one after another, after another in the book of Luke, which is one of those four gospels that are said about. In chapter 15, Jesus is teaching about God. And his listeners are a gathering of what the writer calls tax collectors and and sinners, people who would be considered as lost. Then on the edges of this gathering, but within hearing distance, were other people. They are called Pharisees and, and teachers of the law. These were religious people who thought they knew God, who thought they were found. And they were criticizing Jesus. They were saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus tells these three parables, and it's the first two. The first two that we're going to go with this week, and then next week it will be the third. And Jesus starts off, he says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the, the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? That's the, the first parable. And then again, Jesus starts off, he says, oh, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. 
Does she not light a lamp and, and sweep the house and church carefully until she finds it? That's the second parable. And both of these are given as questions. Does the shepherd go off after the lost sheep? Does the, the woman go off after her lost coin? And in answering his own questions, Jesus reveals what is incredible about God and what shuts the, the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law up with their criticism and their coldness. And what is more, that you, you get God's mission in Jesus' answers. The shepherd, when he, when he finds the lost sheep, he, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and his, and his neighbours and he says to them, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. The woman, when she finds the, the lost coin, again she calls her friends and her neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. God is passionate and focused, almost to the point of carelessness in his searching. Trusting that those who have been left secure, the, the 99 sheep, the, the nine coins, they're going to be there when he comes back. Because God is off. He's looking for the lost. And he's going to find what he's looking for and then bring it back. And those that have been left have got an invite to rejoice with him. Although I'm not sure those Pharisees who were listening on the edges were going to be in the mood. And whether you're a, a Christian here, which most of you are, or whether you're not a Christian, this is the God that we follow. That is his heart for the lost. And it's the heart that as followers, as Christians, he will give us. There are certain dates in a year that through history have been connected into significant moments in Jesus' life and in the history of the church. And one of those dates is today with Pentecost Sunday where what happened after Jesus had gone back to heaven and the Holy Spirit was sent on the day of Pentecost is marked. This moment is recorded in the book of Acts that picks up and follows on from the book of Luke and was investigated and written by the same person. In Acts chapter 2 verse 1 it says when the day of Pentecost came which was already a day that was significant in the, in the Jewish faith. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That is the, the, the first followers, the disciples of Jesus. Suddenly a, a sound like the blowing of a, of a violent wind came from heaven and, and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in, in other tongues. It was an incredible scene. And what or who I want to focus on is the Holy Spirit. Who is God as described here with his arrival as being felt in the, in the blowing of a, a violent wind and, and being seen in the tongues of fire that, that rested on the disciples' heads. This was a, a moment a moment where heaven connected with earth and the spiritual connected with the physical. And it shows us dramatically what God does when, when he searches and he finds us and then he meets us in our world. It's what God did when he, he breathed life into Adam. That was heaven meeting earth. It's what God did through the events in the Bible, through the people that he used to, to bring this to us as he searched for what was lost. That was heaven meeting earth. 
It's what God did when he sent his son Jesus, God in human form, walking this earth for 33 years. That was heaven meeting earth. It's what God did when he sent his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and it is what God still does now. As his spirit moves, as he searches, as he finds what was lost, as he finds us in our lostness. And this is something that I want to pray into at this point. Then I'll go to the finish. Because for us, whether we're a Christian or not, and even even going right back to, to Adam in the garden, this is something that he experienced and something that we can experience. We all experience some lostness within our lives. And because of that, like Adam, we can start hiding. We can start thinking that God's not looking, that he's lost us, that somehow he's missed us. And there's a final scripture, three more sentences I want to use here from the Bible. It comes in the book of Psalms, which is a collection of songs and and poetry, many of which were written by David, the Old Testament king. In Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, he writes this. He says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the winds of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God's presence is wide ranging his holy spirit moves and searches god can reach us he can find us wherever we are if we're available he will find us if we're hiding he will look for us see as christians as followers of jesus we may still experience some loss and it can leave us hurting it can leave us hiding in the day to day in the week to week in our lives as we live out our faith There are going to be areas where we know something has been lost. And I think you'll know what I mean when I say we can go through situations, maybe to do with our own health or the health of someone who's close, and we can lose hope. Or that health situation with someone who is close may have become critical, or because of old age or or accident, we can lose a a friend or a, a partner. Or we could be in a run where life is really intense and and we're we're getting drained. It doesn't look like it's going to change and we can lose heart. Or something may have happened and through things people have said or through our own anxieties, we can lose confidence. Or we can have reached a point in life where, where as much as we thought we knew where we were going, something has happened and we've lost direction. Or, and this can go unnoticed, but I think God notices. Life can get us down. And where we had energy and where we were positive, we can come to realize that we've lost fun. Life's gone gray. Or we can come out of a conversation or situation, and maybe it's been going on for, for some time where something or someone has been twisting us up on the, on the inside, and there is frustration and there's anger, and we've lost peace. I believe that God is not only in the business of finding us, he's in the business of finding within us what has been lost. Lost hope, lost heart, lost 
confidence, lost direction, lost fun, lost peace. And I want to pray for all of us. And I want you to think just for 30 seconds of quiet. Think about what you may have lost and what it is that God, God may want right now to find within you. It doesn't have to be critical because God is interpersonal. He knows you and I'm sure he'd much rather work within the smallness than have to deal with a crisis. So let's close our eyes and for 30 seconds of quiet, just think about what may have been lost within you. It may only be small, but God works within that because he knows you personally. And then I'm going to pray. God, you are among us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I'm sure you've prompted each of us to, to think of something within us where we feel we've lost something. And God, that may be really traumatic in that it may be somebody who was close and we've lost them and we miss them. And Lord Jesus, we know that they can't come back. That's not what you can do. But what you can do is give us and allow us to experience your love, to experience your closeness. Lord, to be able to reach us where no other human can because God, you are spirit. And I pray for those people here Lord you'd meet them in that most painful of places and Lord for all of us and I know you work in the smallness as much as you work in the, the critical situation so potentially in the smallness Lord where maybe in our lives we've, we've lost some hope or we've lost some heart or we've lost some confidence We've lost some direction. Or just simply we've lost the fun. Or we've lost the peace that you can give. God, I pray that you'd return that to us. Lord, whether that's right now, in this moment, Lord Jesus, we'd suddenly feel you inside your Holy Spirit returning that to us. Or whether you just start something here and then over the, the coming days, the, the coming weeks, somehow life returns to, to what it was. Lord, only you, through your spirit, can do that. Not clever words, but a move of you in our lives. Lord, I pray, return what was lost so that we can live in foundness again. I pray that in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Weeks ago, weeks ago when I was first thinking about this talk, I, I was out running, which is often where my mind is, is most open. And I looked up just for a second or two, and it was one of those fantastic days. 
where it is cold, but the, the sun was shining gloriously and there was nothing but, but blue sky and a, a single aeroplane, a single aeroplane flying across my view with a massive vapor trail that cut it in half. Somehow that image got imprinted on my mind. And I worked with it as I ran because I sensed something of God. Airplanes are one of the most purposeful pieces of design and engineering ever. They fly straight, they fly fast, they fly high. They cover incredible distances, and I know it's been grounded now, but think of Concorde. Just one of the most breathtaking and powerful and beautiful aeroplanes ever. But the most important part of an aeroplane isn't on board. Although it is essential to all that that aeroplane is about. The most important part of an aeroplane is the landing strip. Remove that And suddenly, an aeroplane has no destination, no purpose. In fact, its position becomes precarious. When God created us, he made us in his image. He spared nothing. He worked everything into us. And it is astonishing what humans can achieve, the level of complexity and inspiration and passion and creativity that God has invested into us. And we see it every day of our lives. But I know, I know the most important part of me isn't physical, it is spiritual. And God is that landing strip. We're meant to be in relationship with him. Remove that, remove God, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're flying straight, if we're flying fast, if we're flying high. It doesn't matter if we see ourselves as Concorde or a single engine prop, sooner or later. We're going to be hit with the thought There must be more to life than this. And sooner or later, we're going to ask quite literally, where am I landing? Where is my final destination? Where is my home? Not my physical home, not the house where I live, but the home for my spirit, for my soul. And if you've answered the question, and you know that you're alive, that you're more than flesh and blood, then God is searching and he wants us found. Let's pray. As I finish and as Luke and the the team return, let's pray. And maybe if we stand just so we're ready to, to sing. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are the God who searches. And you want us found. And God, I pray, if there's anybody here who, not here in my words, but prompted by you, God, your presence through your Holy Spirit has had cause to to think, actually, I'm alive. I've got a soul or a spirit. I'm here. And there is a God who's searching for me. And I want to know him. I want to believe in Jesus. Lord, just now, I pray, if there's anybody who feels lost and wants to meet with you, Lord Jesus, Lord, they do it right now.
God and they'd be found. If there is anybody here sensing that, wanting to make that decision, then make it. God is searching. He wants you found. And in no way to embarrass you if you have made that decision. If you want God to find you, if you just raise your hand and I'll see it and acknowledge it. Thank you. And Lord Jesus, I pray for anybody, Lord, who has made that decision, who is now found by you, Lord Jesus, you'd start to walk with them. Lord, they'd experience you in their lives in a way that they can't understand because you are spiritual and you're connecting with them. That's heaven meeting earth. Lord, I thank you that we can be found by you and you're a God who continually searches for you. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.